Welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I'm getting sick of saying that I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure as is, is, is yeah, you're probably writing something right now as people are listening to this. Yeah, if you are listening to this during the week it's released uh, January 27, 2013, then I am probably writing a ride right now as you're listening to this. So I'm, I'm thinking of you guys. I really am as I'm on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Try not to text me while you're writing stuff. I'm, I probably just sent you a picture right now. Hey, look <laughs> at me having fun at Disneyland. That's what happens. Here. Follow me on the Twitter, though, and I'm probably like tweeting all sorts of really funny and snarky and great pictures while I'm there. You know, because that's fun. So Stuff to the Rolly Crump Facebook page? Uh, yeah, facebook.com slash Rolly Crump as well. And, you know, come to our signings at the end of the week. That'd be awesome if you did. Please do. Anyway. We got a cool history for you. We should listen to it now. It's time for Disney History! So for long-time listeners of the show, I'm sure you know the theme song by heart by now, and you know the parts about bob-around boats. I mean, it's even on George's shirt. Here's the thing, though, guys. There's really not a lot that we know about bob-around boats. Everything that has been written about it, George has looked into already. We have like three photographs. So again, we'd like to know a little bit more. So again, I'd like to welcome Bob Gurr back to the show to give us a little more insight on the Bob Around Boats and the Bob Along Boats. So Bob, welcome back. Yes, this is Bob of Bob Along. <laughs> now, was well, it named after you? Know, you? <laughs> no, there, oh, oh my gosh, no. I, I wouldn't want to have that thing named after me. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, well, the, re the reason there isn't much written and there isn't a lot of research available on it is uh, much like some other uh, unnamed attractions that came and went in, in Disney parks over the years, the things that weren't very successful have a tendency to uh, hopefully disappear fast enough before anybody notices enough of them in order to write a story about them. It's only when they're, um, they've been dead and buried for, you know, four decades or more, somebody will uh, see an old postcard and say, oh, what was that? And then, of course, the inquiries will go around, well, who knows about this and who knows about that? And, of course, the people who actually perpetrated this stuff, some of them, thankfully, they're dead already, so, it, so you're never going to find out. Uh, but in the case of the Bob along, I'm, I'm not dead yet, so at least you can get, uh, get that story uh, correct. <laughs> Well, it turns out, you know, the bob, bob around, it was a cute-looking thing. They, uh, there was artwork on them, and they, um, I'm, uh, I never did find out who came up with the idea and to what company did uh, they go to build the original uh, bob around. But they were uh, a simple little boat, and I think they used a little uh, Shakespeare fishing motor, a little electric motor in it. Uh, they had almost no performance. The slightest wind would just blow them away. And, uh, but, you know, but they did, you know, they did look cute as watercraft. Uh, you know, the, uh, the people uh, designing Walt Disney World, they, you know, we had a lot of lakes and we wanted to have like the kinetics of a lot of watercraft visible. So there was quite a bit of stuff. 
Uh, some of it didn't really work well, but it was cute looking and made good publicity pictures. So some years uh, later, after those were uh, removed, uh, a program got started um, for for a replacement for the Bob Around, and uh, the the company had named the project the Bob Along. Um, and that job then uh, came to me and uh, Maple in Glendale, and it was probably like 74 or somewhere in there. I might not have the uh, have it exact. I'd have to go dig in my records to uh, uh, exactly what the exact dates were. But it was in that period of time that after Walt Disney World had been running for a few years and, and they could kind of refine what stuff works, what stuff didn't work, and uh, they wanted to go back this side. They have a little rental like a small party boat, but not have a great big party boat, you know, that people are used to today with, you know, big pontoon boats where you can put a put your family a dozen people and put all the beer kegs and the barbecue and everything. It'd be something small, uh, just just for four people and maybe six of them all, but a family of four. And so uh, the company wrote out all these specifications, and then this job went um, uh, for initial design to uh, our famous uh, George McGinnis at, uh, at uh, working at Maple in Glendale. And he did some beautiful artwork of, um, of a boat that was kind of almost like a uh, theme like uh, Tiki, almost like a, like a little two outrigger canoes, canoes kind of a thing. And the company mocked up uh, a design a little bit like it down at Disneyland, and they did some preliminary testing with um, some of the executives, <clears throat> just enough to see that how would it work operationally. And then the job kind of went dormant for a few months, and then uh, then the job came back to life. And they said, well, no, we don't really like uh, a, a tiki-looking boat. We want something modern because it's Walt Disney World, you know, and it's going to be run over in the lake in front of uh, the Contemporary Hotel. So that meant it would come to me because, you know, I, I designed more modern-looking stuff. So I took all their, uh, the list of all the words that they wanted, wanted this darn thing to do, and I came up with a fairly simple design that was sort of like just like a slightly rounded edge oblong tub uh, that had some nice seats uh, in it and it had an arrangement for you could have uh, uh, batteries uh, stored in some compartments, and then we would have a... Uh, uh, a motor arrangement that would go out to a little a prop shaft with a little propeller with a cork nozzle on it to help, and help make it uh, be more efficient. And um, month after month, this thing was going along, and they kept saying, "Well, we're going to we're going to build them." So rather than make a, a rough mock-up, they authorized us to go into full tooling, and that meant, in other words, we're making a, a big clay model, uh, very accurate because we're going to make production molds in order to make what turned out to be a production run of one. Hmm. So that meant the, the body part was extremely expensive uh, because that was a fully tooled on, although uh, the metal parts are fabricated one at a time, and, of course, the you know, little top on it the same way, and a lot of hardware store-bought, same as the motor and stuff like that, and, of course, the batteries. So anyway, we got this little boat finished, and it really came out really high-quality, looking really, really nice. We took it up to um, the Golden Oak Ranch that Disney Studio uses up in the uh, old town of Santa Clarita because uh, that ranch had a lake. 
uh, and we can take that boat up there and do our testing and try different propeller uh, diameters and pitches, uh, and a propeller pitch, in order to try to get the efficiency between the batteries and the speed and the handling of the boat. So we did that several times, and we got the boat work, you know, work really neat. But, of course, it's on a movie ranch, not in the wind. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so the boat, the boat got shipped to um, uh, Florida, and uh, I never did go down to see the testing. I just kind of heard about it. Um, but you got to realize that job did not have what we would call a job captain or a job leader. It just over a period of a year and a half, it bumped from one group to another. It was sort of like a, a, a hand-me-down committee thing, uh, and it didn't have a, a, a driving, enthusiastic force on it. So during the test period down there, they found out that it wasn't any better than the, um, <laughs> than the little bob around, and in fact, it had even more sail area when the wind blew, <laughs> and um, it wasn't any faster. And they, uh, for tests, they immediately started renting it out to uh, guests. And they found out in short order, the uh, guests would go out too far out in the lake, and the wind would come up in the afternoon, and uh, they got their picnic, and they'd put all their food and all the kids and everything in the boat. And then um, they couldn't get back to the dock in time, you know, so they're going to get overcharged because <laughs> they, they stayed out too long. And while trying to come back into the wind, they, you know, the batteries so would just slowly fade, and then you had no power, and then they had to go get a boat and go out, put a rope on it, and drag it home. You know, a person might go out and sign up for two hours, and they got a five-hour retrieval, <laughs> <laughs> which, which screwed up their day. So um, we never did get any reports about it, except uh, that when somebody make an inquiry, well, do, do we go ahead with the boat project or not? And they said, no. <laughs> no expenses? No. <laughs> So the lesson, the lesson was an indelible lesson that for me was that from a business sense, don't ever get launched on a project that you don't have several people enthusiastically champion the idea and will follow it all the way to opening night. Uh, jobs in hindsight that always had that characteristic, even when I was at Disney and even when I was after uh, doing other, other jobs after Disney, that characteristic was what made the success. And the Bob Along was singularly about the worst of the projects that it, it really it had it had no home, it had no it had no mother. It was like mm. you know, it's a, like a project in a yard full of chickens and you don't even have the head chicken that the chicks can follow and they just run around. You know, and nobody's in charge and then at the end of the thing, you know, the accounting department they just bury it and that's the end of it. And uh, that boat disappeared so fast, nobody even knew whatever happened to it. Usually, we put stuff in the, in the boneyard and then you know, scavenge it for parts. But uh, that thing was um, just vaporized out of Disney history. <laughs> so, lessons learned from this is, one, make sure there's always somebody in charge to lead it from creation to the ending. And two... Don't go out on a bobalong boat because you will get stuck in the water. <laughs> <laughs> well, some sometimes a year, uh, Florida has this, uh, what shall I say, interesting summer weather, which about one o'clock in the afternoon, thunderstorms come up, and uh, of course, you know, the the rain will come down, and uh, the air, the downdrafts are so fierce they'll come down to the ground, and then spread out in all directions. And if you're on a boat near a, a downdraft, 
uh, that downdraft will just simply wash you away. Uh, not in the direction that you want to go. And, That's just and, life. And, and and both of the Bob boats had a hard plastic roof, so to speak. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So. Um, but. Wow. Both of them were cute. The, the little round was very was very cute, quite decorative for the publicity for people to go visit uh, Walt Disney World, and the uh, the Bob along boat was, um, you know, a little bigger. Probably a little more stylistic, uh, mo- you know, modern kind of a design, and unfortunately had a ton of money put into it <laughs> because of the production tooling. Uh, remember, that makes the difference between a, uh, a hand-built kludge kind of a thing for a demo versus, say, a fully tooled production-like thing that's up to the design standards of, of, a, of a Disney park. He's a nerd, he's a geek, because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is a little bit different. It's The Art of My Neighbor Totoro, a film by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, The films by Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, or Ghibli, I'll find out how to say it, aren't Disney films. But Miyazaki has been called the modern-day Walt Disney, and John Lasseter, who we all know who he is, is a huge fan of the Miyazaki films. He's largely responsible for getting Disney to distribute the films in the U.S. I first saw Spirited Away 10 years ago, and I was hooked on the Studio Ghibli films. Ponyo, Spirited Away, Castle in the Sky, Whisper of the Heart, and Princess Mononoke are all amazing titles, and every Communicore cadet needs to see them. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro is easily the most popular and touching film from Miyazaki, and this review is about the book, The Art of My Neighbor Totoro. This book is not like the other art of books by Chronicle. It's published by Viz Media, which also publishes Shonen Jump and other manga-related titles. So, So the book itself is just as gorgeous as the film. As expected, the title is full of jaw-dropping concept art, Uh, whether it's character development or backgrounds. The second section of the book, which is most of it, really goes scene by scene, sharing full scenes and backgrounds. It's quite amazing to see that the studio uh, actually prepared architectural drawings of the house. Uh, That's a lot of detail, and I think that's what the studio's films are really known for. Interspersed throughout are thumbnail sketches, more character sketches, and tons of drawings of different Totoros. Do you have to catch all of them? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And those little Totoro catching... No, that's Pokemon. Oh, you mean they're not they're not the same? I know, we'll get in trouble here. So. Sorry. Anyways, the uh, the last section is, is different. It's something you usually don't see. Uh, they actually take a look at what they call the Totoro special effects, like how the studio handles the rain, the steam, the dust mites, the tadpoles... Basically, the things that make the Studio Ghibli uh, films stand out. And there's a great quote about what actually a Totoro is from Miyazaki himself on page five. And he says, basically, it's the name that the four-year-old May gives these creatures. No one knows what the real name is. They dwelled in the forest here a long, long time ago when the country was nearly uninhabited. Apparently, they they live over a thousand years. The large Totoro is over two meters tall, big and furry, not unlike a big owl, beast, or bear. This animal might be considered a monster, but it never attacks people. These serene, carefree creatures have dwelled in forest caves or old tree holes, away from humans. But somehow, the sisters Satsuki and Mei managed to find them. 
The Totoros don't want any commotion, and although this is their first contact with the humans, they've opened up to Satsuki and Mei. Because it's always hard to explain what a Totoro is to people. You're just like, they're awesome, and you've got to see the movie. Sometimes it's a one, sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. Well, apparently we've got some breaking news for you guys. Epcot has a new bathroom. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's attached to some kind of new bakery or something like that. I, who, who cares about that, though? It's about the bakery. So uh, this is a, a new new bathroom out by the France Pavilion attached to the Les Halls Bakery, which replaced the La Patisserie. <clears throat> Getting choked up on all the French. And, and there's something rather unique about this uh, toilet. There's two of them. And anyone can use them. Isn't that crazy? They're unisex, guys. That is, that is actually kind of weird. So I'm sure if you go to use them, there might be a bunch of people like standing around going, well, which one is which? I don't know. So I do not know. Well, I don't know what language that was. So, um, But apparently it's a pretty cool bathroom. Got a nice fleur-de-lis pattern on the tile and a nice sign outside that says toilette pointing down. So I hope people don't just go on the ground. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a really bad show, I think. Weird. Yeah, don't do that. But anyway, when you go, just pick one. You can use either one. I promise you won't get in trouble. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Over on uh, Buena Vista Street at Disney's California Adventure is the Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Cafe. Now, the cafe is named after Fiddler Pig, Pfeiffer Pig, and Practical Pig, collectively known as the Three Little Pigs. And they're depicted in Disney's 1933 short uh, of the same name, which was uh, produced as part of the Silly Symphony cartoon series. Now, the short is also what the award-winning song Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf was composed for. Um, but there's also a fictional story behind the cafe as well. Yeah, a, a trio of performing sisters known as the Silver Lake Singers open the Fiddler, Fife, and Practical Cafe. Each of them plays a musical instrument in the same way that each of the three little pigs played an instrument in the Disney animated short. The sisters' coffee shop is decorated with posters from the places they've performed, including the ballroom of the Hollywood Tower Hotel, which you may know better as the Tower of Terror. Bra-ha-ha-ha-ha. Is it is it pronounced Fife? Did I pronounce it wrong? What'd you say? I said Pfeiffer. What did I say? You said Fife. Because I didn't read the whole thing. You want me, you want me to do it over again? No. No, you know as a matter of fact, we're gonna leave this part in the podcast. Oh, okay, good, good. Just as long as everybody knows that occasionally we do make mistakes and we don't fix them. Listen, we're human guys. I apologize. One of us is wrong, the other is right. I don't know who's who. It could be either one at this point. I don't know. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for listening and watching. Yeah, be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Yep, and make sure you rate uh, whether or not you like Jeff being at Disneyland or not. That's important. Because I'm there right now, guys. If you're listening to this this week when it comes out, I'm there right now. Wow. I'm not rubbing it in, but I'm there right now. Sort of like tripping my mind. I know. Uh, well, anyways, um, feel free to email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And if you are at Disneyland and you're stalking Jeff, send the photos there so we can see them. Use them on the show. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash where you can also post pictures of you stalking me and stuff, which 
actually saying that out loud makes it sound really creepy, so maybe <laughs> you should not be doing that. It's not creepy to me at all. Yeah, it's creepy. Okay, well, anyway, so follow us on Twitter. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. But don't don't follow me in the park. I, just to establish that again, don't follow me. I mean, you can come say hi. Just don't follow, like, ten steps behind me, because that's weird. Hmm, what if they start, like, throwing rose petals in front of you as you walk? Yeah, that's a little weird, too. Yeah, really? I thought that'd be kind of, like, cool. I mean, huh. where, where are they getting the roses from? And just, like, like carrying around roses? They're, they're going to run out of rose petals eventually. Like, coming to America? All right. Which, yeah, well, anyway, I'll so. accept that. <sighs> okay, in case you guys haven't figured this out yet, I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Nico Basque.